All right, it's great to be here this morning. Thank you, Lord. I just uh, so thank you, Lord. I'm just so grateful to the Lord this morning. It really am. The Lord's good. The Lord doesn't. The Lord doesn't have to do anything, but the Lord loves to share Himself with us. He really loves people. Loves to be around people. Uh, loves. Just loves, I think God loves church because people are in church. You know, if for no other reason, is people show up there, God shows up there. I remember the first time I went to New York City, I thought, man, God's here because there's so many people there. God has to be there. You know, everybody's talking about God mad at New York City. I'm saying, I think opposite. I think God's just in love with all those people walking the streets. And wants to be there and wants to help people. And I think he's the same thing with church. Church, you know, people are down on the church, yeah. But people are there in church. And God, that's why God comes, because of the people. So, Lord, we just thank you for that this morning. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you want to be with us more than we want to be with you. We think we want your presence. We want your miracles. We want this and that, Lord. But you want all that way more than we do. And I just pray, Lord, that you would remove the lies that we're believing that's like a dam to the Spirit. And that's holding back. Lord, we want to get away from this floodgate thing. And we want to, and we want to get where the Spirit can flow freely. Not something that opens and closes uh, because of our unbelief or the lies or just whatever that's working on us. Our doctrine, our theology. Well, we, we want to present all that to you and put it on the altar this morning and ask you, Lord, to give us good doctrine, give us righteous doctrine, give us kingdom doctrine, give us kingdom theology, give us a kingdom perspective of who you are, Lord. We really do want to know who you are. We really do, Lord. We want to know the real, the real Jesus, the real Holy Spirit, the real Father. We want that. And we pray that somehow that we would just fall into that place, Lord, where we're knowing you in a deeper way. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, you know, I heard Marlon had a good message last Sunday. That's awesome. And he's not in here, but he did great, I hear. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, which, but I will. He was happy with it. You know, there's nothing worse than a preacher that's not happy with his message. You know, that can be really bad to be around. Once a good friend of mine, a lot of y'all people know him, I would never tell who he is, called me. And he said, Byron, I just had a bad message today. I said, yeah, I've had a few of those. Yeah. He said, I don't know what to do. I said, just go do something and have fun. Don't think about it no more. Because one message does not make or break you. And I think he was able to get through it. But I don't think his church has let him preach again. <laughs> I'm serious because I asked him the other day, you doing any preaching there? And he said, no. <laughs> Just doing worship leading. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read something here. First Kings 18, I've been talking about the life of Elijah. When will it ever end? Never, because he has never died. <laughs> but, you know... Um, Elijah, I think I've shared this. Let me see. I, I, 
what are those things? They call them vines or something like that, those little videos. Is that what they call them, vines? I'm not really social media savvy, as most of you know. Um, but that's how I look at his life. There's these little pictures, little, little videos of his life that the Bible gives us. It doesn't give us everything that happened in his life, obviously. Uh, but God has given us enough of his life for, uh, for it to impact us and for it to speak to us. Uh, so every little section, like, you know, the first video, or the first picture was when he shows up at the palace and gives this challenging word to King Ahab about the rain. That's a, that's a, a snapshot in his life. And then the Lord called him to go live at a brook, the brook Cherith. And he lived there. We don't really know how long he lived there. But he lived there long enough for the brook to dry up, which took some time. Uh, and the ravens were feeding him. And then the Lord spoke to him to go to Zarephath, to a widow's house, and to live there. And that was another snapshot of his life. We don't know what happened in between. And then he, uh, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to him one day and spoke to him after living with the widow for, and raising her son from the dead. Uh, which is just amazing to me. That was the first resurrection in the Bible. Doesn't that really kind of amaze you when you think about the Bible? Like, wow, that was the first one. That was the first one. And it was by uh, Elijah. And so, you'd think there'd be more like to do over that in the Bible. There'd be more like fireworks over that. It just kind of covers it in just a very few verses and moves on. And then... Um, he, the, Lord, the word of the Lord comes to him, and he tells him to go to, uh, to meet Ahab. And on the way, he meets this guy named Obadiah, and they have this amazing conversation, a, really a powerful conversation. Uh, and the next picture is, is he runs into Ahab and makes, like, t- calls out for all the prophets of Baal to show up on Mount Carmel, and he's going to show up there. And we're going to see who is really in charge here. We're going to see, is it going to be Baal or God? And, and so, and that's what we all know Elijah the most for, is that picture of him getting on the mountain and calling fire down from heaven. One thing that Scott Forsyth told me, uh, that he, he's researched that quite a bit, and archaeologists have found tunnels under some of the uh, places where they did Baal worship. Uh, secret tunnels. And... They believe that the reason Elijah wanted to call fire down is these, they would secretly, in their worship of Baal, start a fire uh, under, you know, from, from those tunnels on the altar where, where the people worshiping would, suddenly this fire would appear that nobody started. Isn't that interesting? And so that's why Elijah said, well, we're going to see about this fire business. You know, we're going to see. And... Uh, so he does this and calls fire down from heaven, and the people started declaring that God is the Lord. You know, God is the Lord. And they killed 800 prophets of Baal and Asherah, which is the female version. You know, one of the things that's so wicked about that is the sexual immorality in the worship of Baal was hideous. That's why there was a male and female version. The men would go to the female version, probably, in, you know, and the male, but you know what I'm saying. That was just part of their, their ritual, and that's why those were there. Um, and so 
you know, it seemed like at that moment there was like the, the, big, the big victory had happened. And the, there was just one thing left that needed to happen was there the drought that that nation had been under for three and a half years. There, there had been a three and a half year drought. And after he called fire down from heaven, he went up to, and told, told Ahab, go, go to Jezreel, go eat, go eat and, and drink. Not, he didn't send to Jezreel, but he said, go, that, go and eat and drink. And he went up on this mountain and began to intercede and pray. And I think the people of God need to intercede and pray now. Um, that's what I really feel the Holy Spirit's telling me, is, is the people of God need to rise up in prayer. Every one of you, not just people who are given to prayer. You know, there's people in our church that are they're praying all the time. But the people of God have got to rise up, not just the special anointed ones, and, and begin to, to declare some things and not depend on, and, and depend on the government to do what we think they're going to do for us because there's a good chance they may not fulfill all our wishes and dreams. And I believe America is still hanging in the balance. My personal opinion is because of the church. We're the ones that's going to tip this thing one way or the other. And so I really want to encourage you to become people of prayer and ask the Lord to give you that anointing to pray and don't be bored about it. Uh, you know, and, and be creative about it. So that's how you don't be bored is you, you don't just go through something. Um, but I want to encourage you about prayer. I think like Elijah, he didn't, he called fire down from heaven. You would think he could have just called down rain, right? I mean, duh, okay, won't you just say now rain start? No, he went up and it says he got down and put his face between his knees and began to pray. And he had his servant there. And he kept telling the servant, go check. Because he knew that God was going to, he knew there was something happening that was being released from within him. But it was an effort that had to be put forth. And the effort was prayer. And so he sent the servant a few times to run and check, run and check. And finally the servant came back and said, I see a cloud the, hand, the size of a man's hand. That's all he saw. But Elijah knew at that moment that this is it. This is it. The, the rain is coming. And he jumps up at that moment. I mean, that's a guy who really saw things that other people didn't see. Because most people, a, a cloud the size of your hand, like, dude, where's the dark, where's the dark clouds? Where's the thunder? Where's the lightning? Well, there wasn't any at that moment. But his, he declared that it was going to start raining. At that point, he was. But it was the prayer that brought him to the place to be able to release that, that word for the rain. Anyways, y'all can do that, right? I'm going to read verse 45 and 46 in First Kings 18. It said, Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. After three and a half years, that was a, a day of rejoicing. You know, so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and girded up, his, and he girded up his loins and ran, a, ran ahead of Ahab to the en, entrance of Jezreel. So that was like the thing that right that was three and a half years of his life had been poured into that one moment. Okay. For three and a half years, God had worked in Elijah's life. He had worked in his life. He had prepared him. And he had, you know, went through all that he went through for that moment. For what I just read. Just to see that drought broken and to declare to the people of God 
that God was greater than Baal. And God was one that was truly in charge. And so that, that was where he was at. And it, notice it says that the hand of the Lord was on him. And he, uh, he went down to Jezreel. Uh, and he went ahead of Ahab. Now Ahab, it doesn't say that uh, Ahab ran fast on his chariot. It doesn't really tell us. Uh, he probably did because it was raining really hard, right? Most people, when it's raining hard, kind of get, get with the program. We're just like leisurely ride through the rain, right? You know. But it says, this is interesting, it says uh, Elijah ran ahead of him. In other words, Elijah ran, outran it was something supernatural. It says the hand of the Lord was on him. And it, that was a 16-mile run, okay? 16 miles that he... Something was... It was not not natural what was happening with him because no man can outrun a horse. In fact, I, I just want to tell you this because this was interesting to me to find out about the fastest horse speed that's ever been recorded. It's 44 miles per hour for a quarter of a mile. That's the fastest horse. The fastest... Recording of a man is, y'all know who Usain Bolt from Jamaica, the Olympian, 27 miles an hour. That dude can run. That's fast, man. Think about, oh, Usain, he can run. You know, you've seen him run, looking at his competitors, you know, right towards the end. He's sort of looking at him, smiling at him, because God has given that man his incredible ability to run fast. And so he's been clocked at 27 miles an hour. So, that's a that's a lot. That's just for a short distance. That's not like for sixteen miles. Uh, but however, I did look at the world record for uh, marathon, uh, and I'm not sure which year this was. It was recent, I think. Uh, it's this Kenyan guy. Y'all know Kenyans can run really fast for a really long period of time. Those guys were crazy. I don't know what it is, but this guy ran this uh, marathon. Uh, in two hours, four minutes, and 42 seconds. I think that's right. He averaged 13 miles an hour for 26 miles. Can you believe that? For 26 miles, 13 miles per hour. Oh, his, no, his average mile, mileage speed was four, four minutes and 42 seconds, under five minutes a mile. It is incredible. I mean, that's, that's like unreal. But still, even at that speed that these guys were running, there was no way they were going to outrun a horse. Right? And probably more than likely, uh, Ahab had more than one horse on his chariot, which means they even went faster, more horsepower, right? And so I thought that was interesting. I mean, it doesn't really mean nothing, but <laughs> just interesting. But what it means is God was on, on this on Elijah, and he outran him and beat him to the place. Now, at this point in time, it would seem like to me, and, it, and I believe it felt like this to, to Elijah, that everything that he had, that every, his dream, his vision, everything that God had worked in his life and brought, prepared him for, this was it. This was the moment. It was going to happen. God had proved himself, and the people had declared the Lord is God, and now there's going to be this amazing revival in this nation that's going to happen. God is going to move in this nation, and, and it was like the, the pinnacle, the pinnacle thing that had, that had worked in his heart. And then this is what happened. Uh, this is in 1 Kings uh, 19, uh, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel. 
isn't it interesting that Jezebel wasn't up on the mountain, evidently? Right? It doesn't say a word. Isn't it interesting how Jezebel is such a famous person? And she doesn't say much in the Bible. She has a few places where she says stuff. And this, is, this is one of the few places where Jezebel speaks up. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. That's pretty... Well, I mean, that was a serious threat, uh, you know, because she was, had a lot of power herself uh, as a queen. Uh, plus, she was really high-level demonic person. Uh, and it says, when Elijah saw that, that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba. Beersheba was in uh, Judah. It was not even in the... He was in northern kingdom. That's 80 miles that he ran. I don't know. It doesn't tell us how long, but that was another 80 miles. It's interesting how Elijah, when you think about his life, he doesn't spend a lot of time in his home country. You know, God sends him out, then God sends him to, to Sidon, and then he winds up over there for a little while, and then next thing you know, he's running off to, on his own to, to Judah, to southern Israel, okay, afraid because of, of, of what's fixing to happen to him. So it's also interesting that how Elijah did some running. He was a, he was a running guy, it seems like. And he, uh, it says, he went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Everybody, anybody know what a broom tree is? I looked at a picture of a broom tree. It's more like a big bush, but it has this big canopy over it. And it's not really like a big... We would think it was a huge bush is what we would call it. But, but it was big enough for a man to sit under it. And it had a big you know, canopy where you could, could get up under it. I think they call them juniper, juniper trees is, is another name that's used for them. But they're not here. They're, they're an eastern tree. And he sat down under this tree and he prayed that he might die and said, It's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. There's a really a lot in that right there that really can speak to your heart. Okay? Um, and so I, I feel what I want to tell you is, is I'm, it's not everything that's in there, but I'll tell you what I'm, I'm feeling. I've, I've really prayed about this uh, a lot more than normal because I feel there's things that God wants to say to us. Uh, and I'm sure there's things that God wants to say to us individually, but I, I feel that God wants to say some things to this church, as a church, through this. Okay? That's, I think, is really important. Now, I believe God wants to speak to you personally, and let him, let him do that. But I've written down some things that I felt were important for us. And, and so here's the first one that I believe what was happening with Elijah. It was God, God was stripping Elijah. Okay? I, see, I want to... God didn't threaten Elijah. God wasn't... But God was in, in this. God was in what was happening to him at that moment. Okay, and there's a lot of reasons he did what he did. Okay, there's a lot of reasons he ran. But I just want to bring out some things that I feel are really important. Number one, I feel like God was stripping Elijah. God was exposing Elijah's humanity. Okay, remember what James said about Elijah? He was a man with like passions. And so God was really 
uh, wanting for Elijah to be stripped of being Elijah. Now, this is really vital for people, I think, is, uh, is this thing of being stripped, um, where we would see and we would ask the question about Elijah is where, where was this, where was the real Elijah? Where was the Elijah of chapter 17? Where's the Elijah that was calling down fire from heaven? Okay, that, that's the question that I had when I saw Elijah running. My, the first question was, wait a minute, where's the guy who, who stood to the king face to face and challenged him? Where was the guy who stood up there against 800 people and challenged him directly? Where was that guy? Where, what happened to him? And, and I believe what happened to him, there's, Elijah was not a weak man. But he was weak. He wasn't a weak person, but he was weak. And I think that's something that people had to see. We would not. We don't even want to see Elijah in this state. We particularly kind of don't care to talk too much about Elijah, the man of of fear, the man running away. We would rather look at Elijah, the miracle person. When we talk about having the spirit of Elijah on us, we don't think about weakness. We don't think about fear. We don't think about fatigue. We don't think about having emotional breakdowns. No, we think about power. We think about glory. We don't want to see our heroes weak. We don't want to see their nakedness. We don't want to see their humanity. That's what... That's what's one of the problems with the church has been. We haven't allowed the, each other. We haven't allowed the humanness of each other to be exposed. Yet the Bible is a, is a Bible of God exposing His greatest people's weakness. And God has never backed away from letting us see the weakness of His people. Along with, at the same time, letting us see the, the strength of His people. So God was, was stripping this man. There's a... Are y'all good? In Leviticus 8 is the, the story for y'all you, all you who love to read the book of Leviticus. It's like the, the most amusing, colorful book in the Bible. Oh, gosh, yeah. But this is, this is a very... I guess it's amusing. It wouldn't be amusing to me. It was when God first established the priesthood. And he spoke to Moses and said, Moses, call up Aaron and call up his sons and call the whole congregation of Israel to come to, to the tabernacle. And what you are to do is you are to strip the son, Aaron and his sons and you are to bathe them. Think about that for a minute. How many people are like, okay, we're going to ordain some people today. We're bringing in a tub. You know, apparently it's going to be a little ugly because we're going to have to take their clothes off. And then we're going to give them a bath. I can imagine Moses with a brush. <laughs> Scrubbing. Obviously, it was a ceremonial bath. But then... It would be the most humiliating thing in the world. Do you like to take baths in front of people? Nobody does. Nobody wants to be unclothed in front of other people. But that's what God was doing with 
Elijah. God was showing us his nakedness. God was showing us his weakness. It goes on with Moses in, in Leviticus 8 that he actually bathed those men and then he clothed them with something. He clothed them with the priestly garments. That's what he did. They had to be stripped and bathed before they could put on the priestly garments. And I believe in every believer's life, we're kings and priests, but I believe there's a stripping that will have to happen in our life. God wants to strip things. He wants to strip us. The thing is us. He, he, don't, he don't care about the things. That's not really God's issue. He's not wanting to take stuff away from people. He wants to strip. He wants us to find our humanity, find out our weakness, and, and, and face it. Face our weakness. Face our humanity. We never quit being human beings. You know, you can... You can, uh, you can trace the life of Joseph by a stripping that he went through. It's interesting. If you go back and read the story of Joseph, is he was given this beautiful coat of many colors. Everybody knows about that, right? It's, it's by his father. His father gave him this coat of many colors, which was this honor that was laid upon him by his, by his dad. And his brother stripped that off of him and threw him in a hole and left him there. And one of them, I think Reuben, I think it was Reuben, heard his cry. And took him out of the hole and sold him. Well, he, at least he saved his life. He sold him to, I think, some Midianites. I think that's what, the way the story goes. And they took him down to Egypt. And sold Joseph into slavery. And God was, God's favor was on Joseph. And he rose to a powerful position in Potiphar's house. Who Potiphar was a mighty man in Egypt. And Potiphar's wife was a bad person and went and tried to seduce Joseph and kept seducing him. And one day, he found himself in a bad situation. He was all alone in the house with her. And she tried to seduce him. And he, and he took off the run. And as he was running, she grabbed him and yanked his clothes off of him. He was stripped of his garment, his outer garment. And the next place we find Joseph is in the dungeon, in the prison, the king's prison. Left there to die. And he spent a long time there, at least, at least three years. I don't know how long he spent there. But he, we know he spent two for sure. And he was there before the two years were fulfilled. Because the Bible says he stayed two full years after he tried to get, manipulate his way out. <laughs> don't try to manipulate you out, out of what God's doing. <laughs> he just prolongs it. Anyways, the day came where it was discovered that Joseph had a gift and Pharaoh called for him, and it says he was the, the prison clothes were taken from him, and he was washed and he was shaved. You see, I think for all of us, for us to really see, that's, those are those are pictures. Those are things that God will do. Let me tell you, being stripped is no fun. Being stripped is no fun, but it's God's way. That's what you see with Elijah. God allowed us to see Elijah stripped. We didn't, God didn't want us just to know Elijah as a powerful, mighty man. God wanted us to know Elijah that Elijah was a man. He was a human being who had feelings. And God had to strip away who strip Elijah away from being Elijah. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? 
second thing that I wanted to tell you about is about running. About running away. You know, you know, obviously, you know, Elijah, this is crazy. It says he, he, he ran from Jezebel because she threatened to kill him. And then he runs off, and the first thing he does is tell the Lord. He didn't tell the Lord. He didn't ask the Lord to protect. Protect me, Lord, from Jezebel. You know, what did he say to the Lord? Lord, kill me. Isn't that interesting? Ever thought about that? So he wasn't just running. I don't think he was just running in fear. I mean, it would have been better to be killed by God than Jezebel, I guess, right? I mean, if you're going to go down, let God take you down and you know, be better. God killed you than Jezebel killed you, at least, at least for your legacy. But I believe there was something more working in Elijah than just him being afraid to die. Because he wanted to die at that point. He came to the place where, I want to die. I don't want to do this no more. And so I think a lot of people... A lot of people run, you know. Um, I think there's people in here that are running. You might not be physically running, but you're running in your heart. Um, every one of us have run at times. We've run from ourselves, really, is, is really what we're running from. We're running from our failures. We're running from, running from our past. We're running, we're running from a relationship. We're running from what God didn't do. I mean, it's just something we really need to see about ourselves is that we have this thing in us that wants to run away. Am I, is anybody in here have that feeling in them besides me? I've wanted to run so many times in my life, that, and, and God just never put me in a position where I really could. But there's, there's been a thing in me that inside of me I have been running from myself for years. For years and years and years because I couldn't, I couldn't bear to see me. And it was only when God, when I began to realize that God wanted me to face me. I didn't like the feeling of weakness. So I tried to run from my weakness. I tried to hide from my weakness. I tried to hide from the things that bothered me. Because I didn't think that was a good thing. I didn't think that was the way God wanted us to be. So I ran away from it instead of facing it. And there's people that run you... I know a lot of good believers sitting in church every week and they have run as hard as they can away from God and away from what didn't work out in their life, away from their dreams that crashed, away from their ministry that crashed, away from their business that crashed. They've just run. Y'all looking at me awful seriously. I know, it feels serious. I don't want this to be serious. I mean, some people in here are running from God. That's a crazy place to run from God at in church, right? <laughs> well, it might not be if God, because God may not be doing much. It might be a safe place. Lord, don't let this church be safe like that. I mean, I think the church is supposed to be a safe place, but I tell you what, I don't need to be safe from God reaching people. So that, that I think that's important. I'm going to pull all this together. I don't want to say too much more about the running, but you're always going to have in your life 
two sides to you. And I'm not saying a flesh. And I'm saying you're going to have a powerful side to you. And you're going to have a weak side to you. You're going to have Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're going to have the glory of God. But you're also going to have weakness in Christ. You're going to have this weakness in you. Because you're a human being. And you have to learn how to embrace that weakness. If you really want God to really use you, you have to learn how to embrace your humanness and not hide yourself from it and not despise it. I think I've told y'all, you know, oh, this pitiful feeling that I've had so much in my life of getting ready to do ministry and feeling like I don't know what I'm doing and feeling like I'm starting over every time and, and hating that feeling, that, was, that about drove me crazy. And I kept asking, Lord, am I ever going to get to a place where I feel like I know what I'm doing and where I won't have these feelings of weakness and feelings of, of utter dependence? And it was like God said, was saying No. No, this is the way I want it. I want you to feel that way. I want you to understand your humanness. I want you to understand without me, you, you can't do this. I want you to understand that you need my anointing really bad. You need my revelation really bad. You need to see that. You need to feel that because that's what you are without me. And when you begin to embrace that part of yourself... You can embrace God's power in a lot more legitimate way. In fact, God will entrust you with His power in a lot more legitimate way. But it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. It's scary. It really is. Here's another thing. I gotta, I'm going to keep going, okay? I hope you're engaging on some level. It's, it's a disappointment thing. There's a disappointment is powerful. I've learned that disappointment is more powerful than a lot of things. Um, you know that Elijah, I mean, without question, had to be physically exhausted because although the hand of the Lord was on him, there was a human body there, and although God's hand was on him and gave him supernatural energy, his body was going to have to pay for that. And you know that he, that when you're exhausted, you don't think right. When you're really tired, right? You don't think right about things. I, I think many of you may know this, but uh, the Welsh revival was led by this young guy named Evan Roberts. And Evan Roberts was a very powerfully anointed man. I mean, super anointed. Changed a nation through his preaching and through what the move of God that he led where they actually literally closed down pubs, literally closed down uh, sports venues because people weren't showing up. People were going to church. Nobody wanted to go to football games no more. Nobody wanted to go drinking with their friends no more. Everybody wanted to go to church because God was so powerfully present there. Well, Evan Roberts was not a wise man in one way. It's the anointing was so powerful on him that he did. he would go long periods of time without sleeping. And even though his, his elders, the older men that were around him that counseled him, like kept telling him, you need to stop, you need to rest, you need to make, take care of yourself, he wouldn't do it because the anointing was so powerful. 
And he was flying high for long. But you know, Evan Roberts had multiple nervous breakdowns in his life. Multiple nervous breakdowns. The end of his life was terrible because he didn't take care of himself. And he let himself get just wore out mentally, physically, and emotionally, thinking that this anointing would carry him through. And it really, God never really meant that to happen. God was just doing something sovereign, and he wasn't using wisdom. That's really, that's our true story. You can, you can look it up. But you, if you put yourself in Elijah's shoes, you have to know that he was disappointed. Because although the people said, the Lord's God, nothing happened, nothing shifted. In fact, Jezebel didn't repent. Ahab didn't seem to repent. Nobody, it was like, well, God's the Lord, but business as usual. He had poured three and a half years of his life into this thing, expecting to see God really do something powerful, and it didn't happen. God didn't do what Elijah was expecting God to do. And so lots of times what happens with us, we have these expectations. And, and, and here's what these expectations will do. These expectations will become demands of the heart. Where you begin to demand in something because you have this expectation. You have this belief. This is what God said He was going to do. God was going to do all these things. And now God hasn't done them. And you have this demand towards God. Unknowingly in your heart because you're disappointed that God didn't do what you thought He was going to do. But God gave him a victory. He just didn't give him the revival. God did what He said He was going to do. God showed Elijah, I'm going to show them who's God. But as far as we know, God never said there's going to be a national revival out of this thing. People call this a revival. I used to call it revival year, and I realized there was no revival. There was just a mighty act of God. It's really not a revival. The, the nation didn't turn. If you go on and read ahead, it was, I think, 14 years later before Jezebel was even eliminated. Or nine years. One of them, nine or 14. It was a long time. It wasn't nine days or 14. It was years. Long after Elijah was gone to heaven, Elisha had to get involved in it to finish fulfilling the thing that the Lord wanted to do about Jezebel. And so disappointment can just wreck our lives. And a lot of Christians are disappointed. I'll tell you this, people in this room, I can look you in the eye, and I could tell you right now that why you're in a place of disappointment. In your life, because you are disappointed in what God didn't do. I would like to go and just get in front of some of you's face because you have this thing in you that God put in you. But you're so, you've lived this life of disappointment because you have this demand towards God and God will never fulfill that demand because that's not the way He works. And I understand disappointment. I'm going to tell you something. I understand it just like y'all do. I've been disappointed over and over and over in my life. I'm di- I've been disappointed by God and God, where God didn't do what I thought He was going to do. And I took great risk and paid a great price and God didn't do it. And I felt like I was left holding, holding the bag, so to speak. You know what I'm talking about? You know, expectations are powerful. Are y'all all right? Yeah. Everybody struggles with them. Disappointments. Everybody struggles with expectations about things. You know, one of the things that I learned a hard way, and I, I have a, 
just like you do, everybody in this room, if you've lived very long, you have a string of broken relationships behind you. And I realized a lot of my broken relationships is because I had expectations of people that they couldn't meet. And because my expectations of them didn't work out, my relationship with them didn't work out. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? And I found that to be a killer in marriage. I mean, a killer. It'll kill your marriage, expectations will. It'll destroy your marriage. You have this expectation, this person, to be certain things, do certain things. And when they don't be it and do it, you're going to have some decisions to make. Because they're not going to be it and do it. I'll tell you that now. Nobody can live up to your expectations. I've learned, and I think I've shared this before, and I've learned this the hard way, and I'm still learning it, is to change the word from expectations to expectancy. Here's what expectation says. I'm talking about just like, this, you can apply this in any area of life, but this is how I do with God. I have an expectation. This is what it says. God is going to move today in my life, and this is what God is going to do, and this is how God's going to do it. That's an expectation. Over and over in my life, I got disappointed because God wasn't doing what I thought he was supposed to be doing. God, you spoke to me. You're going to move today in my life. You told me I was going to meet this person and, and they, I was going to pray for them. They was going to get healed. And they didn't. I met them, but they didn't get healed. It was expectation. Here's what ex- expectancy says. Well, God's going to move. God's going to move today. He's going to do something. He's going to do something. Let him define what something is. This is how he's going to do it, however he wants to do it. I'm just going to pay attention. So when God's moving, I'll be there. I'll I'll recognize that God's at work. That's the invitation. That's the expectancy. That's really helped me a lot with the Lord and with Becky. (laughs) I have this expectation. Supper will be ready. We're not having supper tonight. Oh, that's great. There'll be some food in the refrigerator I can dig around and find. And grumble that Becky later. Here's a scripture. I want to give you this one. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13, 7. This is a great scripture right here. Listen to this. We love this scripture. It's talking about love. As love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is what stood out to me. Notice where it says bears and endures. Bears becomes, comes before believes, comes before hopes, and endures comes after. In other words, sandwiched in between believing and hoping and we should always believe and hope in the Lord but we also need to understand there's going to be a bearing there's going to be an enduring and we're going to have to learn how to bear and learn how to endure but we can't ever quit hoping and can't ever quit believing we can't ever quit having this expectancy in God because when you do that you buy a second class life you buy a lie you start believing things that are not true and you don't even know you're believing a lie. You know the Bible tells us in Isaiah when the devil's finally brought to the earth and you know, exposed that people are going to look at him like, really, that's the devil? That's the almighty devil? Dude, you're nothing. Because he's a liar and he has created this picture of something that's not true because of, it's, it's all based on a lie. So have mercy, Lord. Here's another scripture that's really helped me. I just want to give you this. Um, i got to hurry up. Dang on, I've been using all my time. 
1 Corinthians 3, 6. This is how I deal with my life about the Lord. And, and, I, and I told Becky, this is like the never-ending story. The never-ending, I never learned this. I, I, I'm always learning this. I learn it over and over and over. I planted a polished water, but God gave the increase. Whenever you and I step over into the increase realm, we're out. Increase is not our job. Planting and watering is our job. When you get into increase, that's where you get disappointed and get hurt. When you get into trying to get what you believe God wants, you're trying to do something only God can do. Y'all follow that? I keep telling my, that scripture over and over. When I'm involved in something, I really feel like it's God's on it, and, and I'm really working towards it. I'm really planting into it. I'm watering it. I keep having to keep remind myself, don't step across that invisible line. Because if you do, you're going to be messed up. You're going to be hurting. And so I really encourage you to take that scripture and remember, anytime you're doing anything, even in your marriage, even in something natural, just plant and water, whatever it means practically. Plant and water. And let God do what only God can do. Don't step across the line. I have situations in my life where I can't say things and do things that I think are really necessary to be said and done. Because God is saying, only I can do that. Your job is to pray into it. Pray into it and watch. And if I give you an open door to say something, I'll give you that open door. But just pray into it and watch. And I have seen the Lord over and over just do marvelous things without my help. You can do it with your children. I'll just say this, the best advice I ever got about raising children, once you get them into, after, you know, they're little, they're, you know, you know, you can deal with them, you can whip them, send them to their room, you can make them do whatever you want to, but there comes a point when all that comes to an end with them. And if you keep trying to do that crazy stuff with them, they're going to hate you and run away from you. The best advice I got, bite your lip. It's the best thing you can do. Shut your mouth. With them, you've said enough. Just bite your lip and love them. And that really helped me with my kids. Unfortunately, it was probably too late kind of in some ways. But spoil them, by. Spoil them yeah, amen. I'm, I'm into being spoiled. All right, so I'm going to get to this, okay? So here's what happens to us when we have some kind of issue working in our heart. Okay, withdrawal, that's what he did. He withdrew. So here's what you got to do. Where are you withdrawing from? Who are you withdrawing from? Elijah withdrew. He withdrew and ran away into Beersheba. And he got down there and it says he even went a day's way. He he's like, just leave me alone. I want to be alone. I don't want to be around nobody. I just want to be by myself. Let me just go be alone. And that's what he was doing. And that's what happens to us when we get messed up in our hearts, when, we, when things are not right in our hearts. We want to just hide ourselves from everybody. We want to go off and be alone and not, nobody bother. That's not being an introvert. That's being messed up. There's a difference. Because I'm an introvert. I like to be alone. I've told you all this. Meaning I'm happy with me. Becky ain't happy with me being like that. But, <laughs> but I will tell you this. I know when I'm messed up. It's, not, it's a little different. I'm withdrawing from people because I feel ashamed or I feel messed up. I feel naked. I don't want nobody to see me. So I withdraw from my friends. I quit talking to them. I quit reaching out to them. I quit telling them things. I hide my heart from them. See, I can be withdrawn from people and be all around them all day. I can just keep my heart hid from them. 
Don't let them in. Don't let them know what I'm really thinking. Don't let them know that I'm suffering. Don't let them know that I just feel terrible. I feel like a failure. I just feel like I want to die. I can't tell you, and I could... I can't tell you, and any, any preacher or anybody who ministers will tell you this. Many times when people minister, they go home after they do it, and they want to crawl in a hole somewhere. They're looking for a hole and a piece of something, to, like a manhole cover, to cover you up so you can get in that hole and hide because you feel so exposed and so naked and so messed up in your heart. And, it's, and that's an intense thing, but for us as believers, we all of us are like that in some ways. We're trying to find, just let me go hide somewhere. You may not think that, but that's what's really going on in your life. Nobody knows the real you because you've hidden the real you because you're so hurting or you feel so ashamed of the real you. Are y'all thinking about this for a minute? I mean, I hope this is speaking to somebody because this is really real stuff here and, and maybe I'm just sort of telling you my sad story. But it was Elijah's sad story. It's a lot of people's sad story. I've seen, I've seen people that everybody thinks is awesome, but I've seen them in their moments of not being awesome, in their moments of nakedness, their moments of doubt, their moments of, of wondering, was there life? Did this, this really count? Did I really miss the Lord or what? I'm talking about prominent ministers that, that have, have amazing you know, names in the Christian world that feel doubt and feel rejected and feel alone. And if they feel it, certainly we feel it. And the next thing is, is this thing that you feel, this, you feel conflicted, you feel restless, like he went out with the, with the servant, and, but he couldn't, he couldn't stop with the servant. He, he had to get rid of him. He... Anybody ever felt conflicted and restless in their heart? Well, see, that ain't, that's not God. And you're wandering around trying to find something. You're wandering in your life trying to, trying to get somewhere, and you're messed up. And finally, he did that to the point of exhaustion. And that's when he came to this broom tree. I think it's interesting he came to a Are y'all following? Are y'all okay? The broom, everybody in this room, and there's people in this room that are still sitting under their broom tree. That's the thing. You're under a broom tree. You got lost somewhere. You got disappointed. You got messed up. And you stopped. You never got up from that broom tree. The good news is God came and sent an angel to him to help him get out from under the... Yes, thank you, Lord, to get out from under the broom tree. But I'll tell you something. I can, I can remember a day after I felt so humiliated and so stripped about what was going on in this church. Everything that I had dreamed for for this church, I felt like it was being taken away from me. Everything. And I felt humiliated about it. I felt stripped about it. And I can, I can take you to the place I was at, literally, in Burlington, North Carolina, where I just said, Lord, it was like Elijah, I just can't do this no more. Lord, I can't do it. I'm done. I'm, I've done my best. I've given everything. I've given it all. I, I bade you down to the moment. I risked things over and over. And it's all been destroyed. It's all been taken away. And just saying, I just, I'm just done, Lord. I'm done. And I was, for so long, I wasn't proud of that moment. Because I always felt like I let the Lord down. I felt like at the worst of the moment, I just gave up. I felt for a long time like I just, I'm just a failure. I didn't do this good. In the heat of the battle, I gave up. That's the way I felt for a long time. And the Lord had to tell me, no, 
it was just your broom tree. Now, are you going to stay there or not? Because I'm everybody's going to find their broom tree. Every one of you in this room, if you haven't found a broom tree, you'll find it. You'll find yourself sitting there. Let me give you some assurance. Just get up from there. God ain't mad. God's not, God's not, oh, look at how they let me down. Look how Elijah let me down. No, Elijah didn't let God down on any level. And God never even, that thought never came into God's mind. So, you know, one of the things that I think is, and I've shared on this some, are y'all, can I have a couple more minutes here? Is labels. Okay, everybody has labels, right? Labels is what gets you, gets you in the door. Labels is what makes you happy. Oh, I'm a, I'm a really good, here's one that's a total lie. I'm a really good golfer. <laughs> I'm known for my ability to drive the golf ball 350 yards. <laughs> See, that can become a person's label. I'm known for not being a good golfer, for hitting the ball in the woods and yanking it and throwing the club. And so I'm quitting two or three times a game at least. You see, that's what was happening with Elijah when the Lord was stripping him. He was stripping him of being Elijah. It was necessary. It's necessary for us to be stripped of our labels. What are your, What is your labels today? Every one of us have a label, you know. Every one of us have a label. And God will strip that off on you because he has to strip that off because that label doesn't let you see the real you. The real you is under that label, the real person, the, the, the weak person, the naked person. Nobody wants to see it. How many like to go look in the mirror of themselves naked? Does anybody? <laughs> Nobody wants to do that unless you've got some kind of messed up mind. I mean, I don't know anybody personally that stands around and looks at themselves naked except for the fine fault with themselves. I got fat hanging out here. and Look at my muscles. They're sagging. I can't stand like, oh, God, what happened to my muscles? I used to have muscles. Now I don't. They're flabby looking. I got wrinkles on my arm. I got stretch marks. Nobody wants to look at that. We like to envision ourselves as like, nah, man, like a, you know, I'm, a, I'm sort of a smaller version of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I, I got muscles. I'm cut. No, I'm not really. I'm kind of messed up. Anyways, those labels, you need to ask yourself about your labels. You see, I had this label. I had these labels about our church when the Lord was moving. You know? And when the Lord's moving, you can have some really good labels. Because God really makes you look good when He's moving. You look so good. You look awesome. You're so prophetic. You're, you got such an anointing on your life. What a great revival church. What you're on the cutting edge. I mean, just, just name it. Name it. I remember one time me and Andy Squires went somewhere. And he was going to lead worship. And the person was talking about Andy's CD. And Andy was saying, God, Byron, they're going to think that's going to, my worship is going to be that good. It's, and I'm like, yeah, it's not going to be Andy. Don't worry about it. Just... <laughs> Don't worry, just go do what you can do. It doesn't matter what they say. You know, they might give you this great introduction, but just don't listen to it. You can't live up to it. You know, but when that stuff starts getting stripped away from you, it's painful. And I feel like what happened, I'm talking to this church now. I feel like the enemy, and the Lord let it, stripped everything from us. 
Everything, everything that I dreamed of for this church, I felt was stripped away. And I had to come to the point in my life that that's just that's the way it is. This is who we are. But I did want to say this. I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell y'all. I'm telling you as a church, it's really it's time for you to get out from under that broom tree. Now, that's really what I really felt the Lord. That's really, the, I said everything I said. I hope the, the Lord spoke to you, but the real thing, I feel like the Lord came, sent me here today to say to this church, it's, it's time to get out from under the broom tree. That it's a new time. And although we as a church, we may have lost our identity. The identity that we had. God has an identity for us. God has an identity for this church. And I believe there's an identity that God wants to release to this church now. And I don't know what it is. But I'm not trying to hang on what was. That's part of getting out from under the broom tree. Elijah's ministry shifted dramatically after that. After he got up from that broom tree, he went on out. He wound up, listen, this is what happened to him. And, and we'll do this later or another. He got an angel came to him and gave him a cake to eat and some, something to drink. Because he said, listen, you got this journey you got to go on. And you need this. And so there was just this refreshment that came. And then he winds up having this conversation and meeting, meeting the Lord in a cave. And the Lord spoke to him and actually gave him a commission for the rest of his life, told him what to do. And see, I think that's what the Lord wants to do for us. I think that's what the Lord's been doing. I feel like he's been releasing refreshing. But I think God wants to speak to this church. And I think God wants to commission this church at some point. I don't know when that's going to happen. I'm just saying this is what I felt the Lord saying to me. For y'all, and that means y'all's me, is that, that you've got to get out from under the broom tree as a church. You can't live from your past. You can't gain your identity from your past. That God has a different identity that He wants to release to this church. And I think it's for people in this room individually. That God wants, you've, you've felt stripped. Well, it was all, it was all because God wanted to upgrade your identity. And give you a better identity than what you've had. And I feel like what we have to do as a congregation, and I've done this, um, is I have said to the Lord, okay, I'm, here's the way this thing works. Everything's like an attention, like what they call truth's intention. That's how, how truth works. There's always this tension on truth. There's another truth that's, that's they're pulling, and there has to be this balance. And God's the only one who is, is that brings this tension into our life. Like, you know, the Bible's like, God says go. God says wait. Well, those are, those are truths and tension. There's times to wait, there's times to go. Only God can show us which one pulls the most, right? You, you see that? So, um, I think that you know, God is, builds the church. Jesus said that I will build my church. 
but God does appoint people. He appoints stewards to, to co-labor with Him. And the steward's job is to pay attention to what the Lord's doing, hearing His heart, focusing on what He's doing and doing that. That keeps everything, that keeps, I will build my church. Okay, now you go be a, a prophet, you go be a pastor, you go be a teacher. That's the, the, the tension part. But, but what we have to do is we have to, we have to have this relationship with the Lord and hearing what His heart is or, we don't, or we're going to be bad stewards. So what we need to do, what I've done is, Lord, every, all the things in my heart that I feel like you gave me, that really just burn in my heart. I mean, they burn in my heart. Things I want to see accomplished in my lifetime. My dreams, and I believe are God-given. I just said, I'm going to let go of them. I'm putting, I put them on the altar, Lord. That's how you get out from under the broom tree. You put all of that, you give it to God, you give it all to Him, and let Him say to you, perhaps we won't do that. Would that be okay with you if we don't do that? Perhaps we, we want to, this is what we want to do. Y'all looking really serious at me. I've got to stop. It's so late now. I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> I think God wants to give our church an upgrade in identity. All I'm asking, yeah, all I'm asking for you, are you, do you want... Let's do this, okay? I said, okay, I don't know how to do this. Listen, let's just pray. Lord, agree with me for the church, for River Life. Okay, I know this. You might be all wound up in your personal life, but just for a moment, River Life, just agree. Lord, whatever you want for River Life, whatever identity you want for River Life, whatever you want River Life to be, we're just saying yes to it. We're signing on this blank piece of paper today. It, we don't know what it looks like. We don't, we don't know. But, Lord, we're saying yes to you. And that's why we're able to sign, because you sent a wave of trust through this room this morning. And we're going to trust you with our future. We're going to trust you with our identity. We're going to trust you with our calling and our purpose. We're going to trust you with our dreams. That's what we're saying, Lord. So we sign off on that. Help us, Lord. <laughs> Yeah, amen. Amen. And I think you should do that in your own life also, obviously. Yep. Those in this room who are running, stop. Stop running. Face yourself. Face your weakness. Face your shame. Face your nakedness. Face it. When you face it and begin to embrace it, then you're going to, be, you're going to embrace the power of God in your life. You're going to embrace a new anointing. You're going to embrace a new identity. You're going to embrace some things that you will really want, but the only way you're going to embrace them is embrace that weakness of yourself. And stop running. Just stop. Stop running. And if you're sitting under that broom tree, you've stopped and you're just sitting there, Lord, I'm just done. I'm, I'm just done. I'm just done. Get up. Get up from there. Don't stay there. Get up. Like the angel said, get up from there. And drink this and eat this. It'll give you energy to get to the next place. And you'll get up. You won't get that until you get up. You've got to stand up from there. You've got to listen. You've got to move, get up. And that's when God will start releasing refreshing in your life. He's asking you to make a step of faith. 
Now, I've just went too long. <laughs> Becky, come out here and end this for me. <laughs> Let me stand up. Woo, he did preach long. But it was good. Really good. I think the Lord's really speaking to us. And um, I feel like it's personal too, guys. I mean, I think it's, I think we are in a season where the Lord is bringing us into new things. And we do need to be able to surrender the old to come into the new, right? So I just want to ask the ministry team to come up. I think there are people in the room that are running that really need to just, you know, there's power in confession that it will be good to just say I'm running or I'm under the broom tree or wherever you are. And, um, you know, remember in Scripture that truth and grace are married. Whenever we have truth with ourselves, grace is released. And every time... God will just give you that grace as we just come and have the truth. We come to that table and buy the truth. So just wanted to encourage you to to uh, come get prayer. But let's just, Lord, we just thank you for today. We thank you for speaking. And, Lord, we surrender to you today afresh. And we just say we are with you. Lord, we are with you. We want to go where you go. Just as Jesus' life was, he did what you did. He said what you said. And, Lord, that's where we are right now. We just say we want to go with you and give us the grace to do it, Lord. We just thank you. Thank you, Lord. You guys can be released. We're going to pray for people up here. And uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Really go out of here, and I want you to think about this message today and be praying about it because I think God's really speaking so we love you guys have a good day be blessed have a blessed week say amen Jesus, we